We're uh, closing out a series today called Known For in 2024. And what we're going to be talking about today is is just uh, something that's superhuman. It's not even uh, a church thing. It's not a Jesus follower thing. It's literally something that we all struggle with because we are human. Um, And it's that we all want to be known for something. We all want to be known for something. And I have to admit... Um, we, we each kind of pick something that we want to be known for. And so what has it been that you want to be known for? For a good chunk of my life, um, football was a, was a huge part of, uh, of me. It was what I was known for. Uh, okay, so there's the, this is the awkward picture that I think Erica has mentioned before in a sermon. Uh, this is a picture that I had hanging on my wall when we first started dating. I was 23 at this point when Erica saw the picture, and she was like, who's this guy? Why do you have a picture of some other guy hanging on the wall? Um, and so I had played football in college. I played offensive line. I was a center, uh, and I, I was a little heftier uh, than when Erica and I started, first started dating. I dropped a lot of my playing weight by that point. It was about, a, I guess, two years later when Erica and I met and started dating. And I loved that identity of being a football player. I liked being that big guy. I liked the identity of being an offensive lineman, and you go to the buffet, and you can eat anything you want, and it doesn't matter. Uh, like, I got in trouble one summer because I came back, like, slower, weaker, and like I like lost weight over the summer, and I got in trouble, and then you have to like run extra, and I was like, I'm not really sure how that helps any of those issues. Like, I'm going to lose more weight and get, like, I'm going to lose more muscle mass. Um, so I had to run extra one summer when we came back to training camp, but I love that identity of being a football player. It was encompassing of who I am, who I was at that point, and I, I kind of had to figure out ways to keep that identity going. Uh, and so I, I transitioned. Uh, uh, when I was in seminary, I actually worked for the football team at Duke. Um, and so I worked as a manager. I worked with the running backs and the quarterbacks and got to work uh, with Coach Cutcliffe and um, some of the other coaches that went on and have been head coaches now. And it's really cool to, to see their careers uh, grow as well, to know that I was like a little part of helping them in practice. And I learned things from them. Uh, in each step. And then when I became a youth pastor and we were living in Nashville, I had this itch because it's so much of my identity of who I wanted to be was connected to football. I got into coaching. And so I started coaching at the high school that was about a half mile from our house. It wasn't always, it wasn't historically known for great football teams. The only claim to fame that they had was that it was the high school that Oprah went to. Um, and so there was a young coach that was just a few years older than me that had a vision of making it at a, a, a powerhouse in the city of Nashville and eventually into the state. Um, and so I coached in Nashville, and this was my, uh, I coached the running backs, and this was one of my favorite players. Uh, this, his name was Mario, and he was a hard-nosed kid, and he would just run right in the middle. He had reckless abandon, like a bowling ball. He's, you can see kind of he's a little stout guy, um, and he was so fun to coach. And in the last two years, I have to say that, that East has been in the state title game. They've lost both times, but uh, they went from a team that was 0-10, I think the year before the coach that I, I started working with was there. And so he's created a whole vision around what has been going on. And I loved that about, and I transitioned into coaching. And as I went from a player to a coach, I've now had a struggle a little bit more so with, you know, as I've gotten older, I'm not even coaching high school football anymore. You know, do I still have it? Like, that's been my identity. Do I still even have, like, footballness, like, in my identity? Because right now, uh, you can go, I think, to the, like, a couple more slides, actually. Oh, this was, this was, uh, so when I was coaching in East, this is my, like, I got, you can see me in the background of game day here, because I got to go to a lot of uh, college visits with my players. 
Um, I'm texting Erica here, and it, I don't know back, if you remember back in the day, like your like cell phone at like big events, like you would like not get text messages out, and it would just like spin forever, and then all of a sudden your battery would die, and I'm like mad that my phone's not working and trying to text Erica. But you you can go on a couple more. Sorry, I forgot. So I coached at Plant for a few years, and uh, so right now I'm wondering, do I still even have it? I'm coaching six-year-olds in flag football, and they come up to me here. And I've got to line them all up and get them all in the right places each play. And I'm wondering, do I still even have it? Like, that's my identity now. I have that itch. And I think as we get older, we, we question those identities we put on when we're younger. So some of us, we've, we've put on that identity. We wanted to be known for being smart. Maybe we, we were getting by in school, but we, we felt... Like, we weren't really the smartest, so we, we put on these characters of we wanted to, to project that we were smart. Or maybe the identity that we want to be known for is that we're hardworking. Or now that we've become a spouse, we want to be known as a good husband. Or now that we have had kids, we want to be known as a good parent. And we put these things on to figure out who we are. And the thing has is when we put on these identities we often don't measure up to what we want to be known for. And what happens when we don't measure up to what we want to be known for? Well, we start to pretend, right? I, uh, I know that feeling. Like, I, I wish I could still put the pads on and, and go play, but I, I know that it's not where I'm at in life anymore. I still I don't have it anymore. I would get pushed around. We make excuses about why we can't do it or why it's not working out for us. And it, but it's not us. Like, I, I'm still known for that. You know, the NFL should be calling me. Alabama should be calling me. I'm, I've got a 3-0, six-year-old flag football team. Like, I still got it, right? I, but we make excuses. And all of a sudden, we're, we're into to managing an image that we've created for ourselves. And when you manage an image... Like, think about that word, image. It's the same word that's at the root of imaginary. We're managing something that's totally imaginary in our lives. We're spending our time managing something that's imaginary. And that moment that we start pretending, we stop growing. We stop growing. Because that managing that image, that pretending, those excuses, all of a sudden they become a full-time job in our lives. They become a full-time job. We've got to keep that life going all the time to create that image, to keep it moving forward. And we can't actually grow into God, who God has called us to be because we're so consumed by managing that image. All together, all the time. We've got to keep it all together, all the time. And I have to admit that, well, we probably don't have it the worst. Pastors have a tough time with this. And I know in my own life, uh, there's a certain expectation of what a pastor is like and how life is lived and how our relationships are. And it's tough to keep it all together all the time. I mean, you, you all, I think, would, would, uh, would, would receive a message a little differently if I started off, well, well thank you to the worship team yesterday for uh, you know, picking us up because uh, we were losing a little bit of self-control at Gasparilla. Um, you know, the message would be received a little bit differently if that was how I started it off. 
we have to keep it together all the time. When you get a group of pastors together and you ask them how your church is going, oh, it's growing. We've got so many people. It's just overwhelming. We've got new things happening. There's new baptisms. It's always about that competition. I'm sure it's no different if you went to any other organization. You got a bunch of people together. Everything is great. You want to keep that image going, and it's a full-time job to keep it moving all the time together. But when we look at what's really going on in our lives, there are gaps where that image doesn't hold true. There's those, those holes in our life. And then what are we tempted to do? We're tempted to cover it up. We're tempted to pretend. We're tempted to lie to keep the image going. But here's the thing. Am I fading out? Sorry. There's gaps right here. And here's the thing, if people don't really know you, if, the, if you live in your life with these gaps and you're creating this imaginary you, if they don't really know you, there's no way they really like you because they don't know the real you in this moment. And so we've spent so much of our time pretending, so much to the point that we actually become addicted to pretending, to keeping this image going, and we're actually pretend-aholics It's not until we're able to embrace who and where we are right now, the real us, there's no way that we can get to where God wants and needs us to go. One of the things that I have learned through the years is that there is commonality that that draws us together. There's commonality that creates a bond, and it's why... Things like NA and AA are so powerful in people's lives because they come around a common thing that they're able to share that around. It creates a bond. And have you ever had these moments when you've been around people and you're like, man, those people, they're so real. They're so real. I loved it. I felt like I could be me in that group of people. And it's because, you know, you started sharing a little bit, and they shared a little bit, and you you realized you had a common connection. There was a common bond. And that opened you up to share a little bit more, and then they shared a little bit more. And that's why those support groups are so powerful, because there's a common bond that put down those walls and share a little bit more. And it's not just about sharing. It's also, there's a commonality around growth, that those people want to grow together. They want to get healthier together. And yet, when you have those moments of, like, those people are so real, it's because you were real, too. You were real in those moments. They were real. And you were known. You were known because you were real. You weren't pretending. And yet, we still find ourselves addicted to managing the image that we want people to see in us. And there should be one place, one place that is a totally free judgment zone, 100% real place. And it should be church. It should be church. We should be 100% real here. There should be no judgment. No more pretending. But yet our experiences of church 
We all kind of know what to wear to church. Even if we don't maybe dress up as, as nice as they did 50 years ago going to church, we still kind of know what we need. We show up, I think most of y'all are, most likely we're probably sober here today. We know what the things that we, you know, yesterday or next Saturday, that, that's, a, that's a different story. But like that is the, we know there's expectations, there's social conditioning that we know how to act or we're supposed to act today when we came to church. And yet, we also have had, if you've been around church before and, or Christian people, you, you might have experienced some of this like, oh, have you heard about so-and-so? Oh, we really need to pray for them. And it's more of gossip. We're just spreading the judgment around instead of really caring for them. And so today, I want to look at three scriptures. The first one is going to be from one of my favorite books of the Bible, from James. Um, It's at the end of James, at chapter 5, verse 16. And it says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess your sins to each other. All right, this, this is super scary because we've had those experiences where those things that we're trying to cover up, those gaps we're trying to fill, we don't want those people, we don't get it, getting it being known that that's who we really are because we want to keep the image going and we don't want to be judged. But yet James calls us to confess our sins to one another. And so here's the deal, y'all. While it may not be their business, God calls us to let other people know our business because it's how we are healed. Because here's the thing, we are one body. Though we are many parts, we are one body as the body of Christ. And to not be real with one another, to not be real with other followers of Jesus is trying to like, all right, my foot is hurt, but I'm gonna completely ignore that fact And I'm just going to keep going in life. And we as the church can't live like that. We need the foot to move with the rest of the body. We can't just ignore the pain and the hurt in it. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. You might have friends. You might have even said this to yourself. I really don't like organized religion. I've got the Bible, and I've got Jesus, and that's all I need. But that's not, that's not the Bible. The Bible is about the body, about the community of followers that are growing together. Growth happens in those transparent relationships. It happens in that commonality, that bond. Because James, this is what James goes on to say. The power or the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. A righteous person, a person in right relationship with God, is powerful and effective. And so not only are you confessing, the person that you're confessing to is praying for you. Who else needs more people praying for them in their lives? Because I need more people praying for me. It's not just a one-way thing. This is about a relationship, a transparent relationship of growth, of getting healthier together. I uh, experienced 
this on Thursday night, we had a, a men's gathering, and it's not the first time I've ever experienced this, and I'm sure if you've ever been a part of smaller groups in a church before, you've also kind of had some, a similar story. You know, we'll start going around the circle, and you'll start sharing, uh, particularly if it's a couples group. This is really true. Like, the first, the first person might start sharing, and they'll, like, start telling a little bit of their life story, and... For the most part, it's a pretty smooth like life, right? There might be a couple bumps like, oh, this little thing happened, but then, you know, recovered. The second person, it's a pretty similar story. Like, life's pretty good, nothing's bound. Like, my kids are good, but I had a couple of bumps last year, but we've gotten through that, and we're good now. But then all of a sudden, maybe it's the third or might be the fourth person. It takes a little bit to get warmed up. But I had this happen on Thursday in our, in our guys' group. Someone started to share about how during the pandemic, which is crazy to think that it was four years ago, that he lost, his wife lost her job. And she was the income earner for the family. That was the insurance. Their life felt like it was rocked. And he'd always resisted giving to the church. He didn't quite understand what it was, but he was like, This is the lowest point of our income I've ever had in my life. So I was like, this is him talking. He was like, you know, it might be the best time to start giving because it's the least I'll ever have to give if I give 10%. (laughs) And he said he made that decision at that point. And he had to start stepping up his business to be able to provide for his family as his wife had lost her job. And he never since then has stopped giving 10%. And it's a decision he's never regretted. And he wished he would have given, started turning things over to God earlier in his life. And it was like, where did this come from? Everyone else was like, yeah, we love being here. I'm glad we're here. And yet he took the opportunity to be transparent and real about a real struggle and what God had done in his life. And it opened up the conversation for other people to be honest and real, to ask tougher questions about what was going on. That's the power of groups and transparent relationships. So the the second scripture I want to look at today is from Hebrews. So it's just the next book back if you've got your Bible with you or if you're using your phone. From Hebrews chapter 10. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We have a job to spur one another on to love and good deeds. There's an ABC principle. I love a good rule of threes. Um, I think it makes it easier to remember. So in small groups, they're about accountability, they're about belonging, and they're about care. It's where we can be held accountable to confess when our life is going off the rails, to have those other people around us, It's about belonging. It's about that moment that connected. These people are real. These people know me. And it's about care. When life is going wrong and I need some help, I need somebody else in my life, I have people around me. When you're a part of a small group, these are the three things. This is why we talk about how important small groups are because it's about accountability, belonging, and care. And I think one of the things that I have seen as 
a pastor, and I've witnessed it in my own progression of what I think a small group is over the last four years is, I have to admit, four years ago when COVID happened, and I got kind of, not, okay, this is going to sound strange. I should have thought this better. I got excited about the possibilities of what online ministry could be. Uh, Erica was like, no, I hate this. I hate filming things. I hate talking to a camera. Like, when can we get back in the room? Like, just please, let's, let's make it happen. And I was like, well, this is awesome. Like, this, it's infinitely scalable. Um, like, the, co- like, the threshold to get in is low. You just got to buy a camera and, like, some editing software. And, like, we can just do this. Like, this is awesome. This is so exciting. But now things, four years later, I have discovered something. And I admit, I was, like, 100% in. Like, everything should just be online and digital. Like, we can make church work that way. But I've, I've, it has swung back, for sure, in my own life. And I've come to realize that content is not discipleship. Content is not Christianity. You've got to have community in that. You can't just be letting the algorithm dictate what's going on in your life. You've got to have people around you. Um, and it's something that's been real. Um, I've heard it said this week that if you put it in kind of business terms, content, especially in the church world, I mean, not many other organizations essentially have like a keynote address with content every week like this um, that, that people can splice up and put into 45 second uh, TikToks. There has never been more Christian content in the world probably than today. But yet, one of the scarcest things that happens is community. And when scarcity happens, what it drives up value. And so the most valuable thing the church can offer in a world that is in scarce need of community is offer the community of the ABC, of accountability, belonging, and care. And so the, the last scripture that I wanted to look at today was from Galatians chapter 6. And I, I first memorized the part of this verse when I was in college. And it says... Verse 1, it says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Gently. And why do you restore them gently? It's because you carry each other's burdens. You carry each other's burdens. They knew other people well enough to carry their burdens. They had to be confessing to one another They had to be praying for one another. They had to be accountable, belonging, and caring, to carry those burdens with them. And when you carry each other's burdens, it says, in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Do you remember uh, when they asked Jesus, what's the the greatest command? And he says, says, you know, I sum up the law and love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. When you, if you want a practical example of how you, you follow that, you carry the burdens of one another. You share them. You share your burdens in community. Here's the good news. God has accepted you as you are today. But God loves you so much that God is not leaving you there. And one of the ways that God uses other people in your life is through community to transform you. Because it's community that transforms you. 
We can't just pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. No one has saved themselves by themselves. I think about my own life uh, of a youth pastor that poured into me. I think about as a nervous college student and feeling this call to ministry of what it would look like. And the opportunity I had was to go sit in a middle school small group in community with them. And I sat in a room with other guys that were ahead of me on this journey. I think about Chris Body and Brad Musso and a guy named that they called Smurf. Um, that's what the, the middle school guys called him. And so that was his nickname. And I think about them and the ways they poured into my life and were and journeyed with me as I was nervous and scared about this call of like, I'm not equipped, I'm not gifted enough, there's no way that God could use me. And they coached me through it. Community is the dynamic of the local church. It's what we do at Horizon that allows for transformation. And I I don't know if you picked up on it today, we did a little bit more of a, a curve, but we're still in rows. And I couldn't find exactly where this was quoted to attribute this. Um, and it was so many places, but there's some pastors that have written books that are called Circles, Not Rows, about the importance of small groups, of community, of transparent relationships. Because I've been in a lot of rows before. I've heard some great preachers. I've had amazing worship bands. Had some great moments in worship rows. But the moments in my life that God has really transformed me, when I'm honest, have been in circles, in small groups. You need community in your life. And I have, this is a special note for parents. The community of parenting, Horizon wants to be your partner in that journey. I know from having little ones to I know hearing the stories now of our friends that are having older ones and the challenges of middle school and high school. We want to be your partner in parenting. There should be no better place to partner in parenting than a a church. And that's why we're we're pouring into the next generation this afternoon with our our middle school and high school students, our meeting with our once-a-month gathering. We're pouring into them by having partners in ministry that'll walk alongside them, other adults that can speak into their lives when the messages that you're saying to them are just going right over their heads and they don't want to listen or right through their ears, I guess, more so. That maybe that same message coming from someone else that's surrounding them in that community or that circle, that they're able to hear it in a different way and be transformed. That's why we're doing it. And so this is what, this is what I say to the parents. It's so important to have them here every week, every time there's a gathering. And I say that not because I want another butt and a seat, but when we have that consistency, we're not just getting bits and pieces of the story of the journey. Because it's those small deposits of having your children here regularly that that compounding interest will pay off big dividends later on. So thank you for making that commitment because we want to be a partner in that journey with you. Community and relationships, transparent relationships are the name of the game in the Christian journey. And so as we close our series, this is what I want you to be known for. Known for dropping that image, dropping the managing it, dropping the pretending. I want you to be known for letting go of it. 
and for letting God do the work in your life so that the actual me and the actual you can shine forth. That's what I want you to be known for, known for letting it go and letting God work within you. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you love us and love us so much that you accept us right now. Accept us when we've put on all these masks, all these images that we've pretended and lied and created an imaginary us. But God, you see through that. You see our heart. And God, we give you our hearts right now. God, form us, reshape us, mold us into who you've actually called us to be that we may shine forth and be a part of your world change. Amen.